Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. You know, it's so easy to look back on the Israelites and condemn them for not serving the Lord with all their hearts. We think it's a detestable thing to serve any other God but Almighty God. But I believe that even now, the angels in heaven, and who knows, maybe even Elijah himself, is looking down upon the United States with frustration and disbelief because we are just like they were, placing other gods before the one true God. The, one of the gods in the United States today is the God of money. You got the homosexual gods, the multiple cultural, religious gods, the god of money. That's a big one. People chasing the almighty dollar rather than serving almighty God and letting him take care of their financial needs. We serve money as if it's a god. We make every decision based upon how much it's going to cost or what we're going to get out of it. What our investment what our return on the investment will be. Folks, I'm saying the truth here. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve the one true God and focus on money. Because the one on whom you're going to put your focus on will be the one that you serve. Jesus said you'll either hate the one and love the other or cling to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can serve God and receive money, but you cannot serve money and receive God. Oh, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I hear your silence all across the land. You cannot serve God and money. It's not going to happen. Amen? Although our gods are not necessarily made of wood or stone today, like I said, they tend to be constructed of something much less substantial. Paper. Usually green in color. 
And when we're not busy worshiping this paper god of money, we're bowing at the altar of entertainment. We're offering incense to the god of self-exhortation. Self-pleasure. So, as we imagine ourselves there on Mount Carmel today, listening to the words of Elijah, I hope we realize that he's not speaking just to the Israelites today. He is speaking to you and to I and to this nation and to this world. Amen. If Yahweh is God, serve him. If not, serve whatever God you choose. But let's see which one performs the miraculous act. You know, you can serve the God of money. And that God of money will honor you with wealth and abundance. Yes, you can serve the God of money and become extremely wealthy. Yes, it is true. But you're not living under the blessing of God. Matter of fact, let's turn to Deuteronomy 28 really fast. And verse 15, you serve the God of money. You focus on making money and forsaking all else. You're living under the curse, not the blessing. And here is the curse. It shall come to pass if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do all his commandments which I, in the statutes where I command you this day, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city. Cursed you shall be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your store. Those are your bank accounts. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body. That's your children. The fruit of your land. That's your, your business. Your businesses aren't going to prosper. The increase of your kind. The flocks of your sheep. Cursed you'll be when you come in. Cursed you'll be when you go out. Those are all of the things that cause prosperity. If we go over to verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be smitten before your enemies. You will go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be meat for the birds of the air to the beasts of the earth. No man shall fray them away. Folks, we see that happening in the world today. We come out against the enemy of Islam one way, and we're fleeing seven different ways. They went against them one way, and now they've this plague of ISIS has spread worldwide. How can that happen? Because we're living under the curse. Verse 29. And you'll grope at noonday as the blind gropes in darkness and you shall not prosper in your ways. Folks, that's living under the curse. You want to see what living under the blessing will do? Just flip back one page. It shall come to pass if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do all his commandments, 
which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you'll listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed you shall be in the city, blessed you shall be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. Blessed shall be the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle. Increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. Blessed shall be your basket and your store, your bank accounts and all that. Blessed you should be when you come in. Blessed you'll be when you go out. And the Lord will cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. And flee before you seven ways. Amen. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your storehouses and in all that you set your hand to do. Amen. Down in verse 12, Blessed shall be all the work of your hand, and you will lend unto many and shall not borrow. You'll be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Lord, that is living under the blessing. But it's not like that today when you serve the God of money. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, your forgiveness of this nation's sins, that the mercy of our Father God endures forever. Amen. So anyway, imagine yourself on Mount Carmel that day, listening to the words of Elijah. Because he's not just speaking to Israel, he's speaking to us as well. There on that mountain, they built two altars. One dedicated to Baal and the other to the Lord. The altar of Baal was well used. It was in good condition. But the Bible tells us the altar of the Lord was not well used. In fact, it says it was in ruins. This goes to the test to the fact that like the altar, the people had all but abandoned the Lord. Looking at that broken down altar, Elijah says, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Yet Baal has 450 prophets. And he knew that there were at least 100 other prophets hidden in a cave somewhere. But he wasn't going to announce that because then they would have started looking for him. But he was the only one left who dared to step forward and represent the Lord Jehovah. And as he stood there, surrounded by a sea of opposition, I'm sure the feeling he was experiencing was indescribable. Yet if you and I are truly born-again Christians, if you and I have really accepted Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, then we have indeed experienced at least just a minuscule taste of what that lone prophet on that day must have been battling with inside. But Elijah suppressed all those nervous feelings, all those feelings of terror, by constantly drawing strength from the Lord Jehovah himself. He proposed to prove to this people that their worship in front of that pristine altar and the sacrifices to Baal burned on it were all in vain. He called for two bulls. He told Baal's prophets to choose one. You go first. Slay it. Put it on your altar. But he told them, do not light the wood. And after that, he'd do the same. And he said, call on the name of your God. And I will call on the name of my God. 
And the God who answers by fire, he will truly be the most powerful God. And all the people said, hey, what you're saying is good. Yeah, we want to see this show. We want to see this. Let's see whose God is most powerful. Now, you got to understand, Jezebel and Ahab have been promoting Baal as the most powerful God. Baal was supposedly the one in charge of nature. But yet, when the prophet of the Lord said, it's not going to rain, it was a slight to the prophets of Baal. And more importantly, it made Jezebel and Ahab look bad. Because they had been proclaiming their God was the God of produce, the God of the, of the fields, the God of the harvest, the God of nature. And now one prophet of the Lord says, it's not going to rain till I say so. And then he runs away and they can't even find him. He's being hidden. Their prophets and their, their gods were not showing them where Elijah was. Then all of a sudden, three years go by, not a drop of rain in the land. People have been dying from this famine. And Elijah shows up. He says, hey guys, let's have a contest. And the people said, yeah, let's have a contest. So the prophets of Baal quickly prepared their altar with the wood and the sacrifice laid on it. They began to call upon their almighty God Baal to consume it with fire from heaven. I mean, this should have been easy for Baal. He was supposedly the god of the elements, including lightning. And they began praying to Baal and dancing around the altar, expecting lightning to fall from heaven at any moment. One hour goes by, nothing. They're still dancing around, calling upon Baal. Another hour goes by, nothing. Another hour goes by, nothing. They're starting to get desperate. The scripture says they called them from morning till noon, but nothing happened. They said, oh, Baal, please answer us. No response at all from their God. Verses 27 to 29 says, And so it was at noon that Elijah began mocking them, saying, Cry louder, for he is a God, isn't he? Maybe he's off meditating, or maybe he's busy somewhere, or he's on a journey. Perhaps he's sleeping and you got to wake him up. Cry louder. And they cried louder. Then they began to cut themselves, as their custom was, with knives and lances till blood was gushing from them. Oh, and then they, when midday was passed, they prophesied till the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was still no voice, no answer from Baal. No one was paying attention to them. I could only imagine the chaotic scene it must have been. Some of these prophets, the scripture says, jumped up on the altar offering themselves, cutting themselves, blood gushing out, offering their own bodies. Please, Baal, just call fire down and prove that this is not in vain. Nothing. Not one peep. Not one ember of fire. Nothing. Some of these prophets had to have passed out from exhaustion and especially loss of blood. But even with all their efforts to rouse the God, I mean, they're dancing on the altar, laying on the altar. If Baal was to call fire down, they would be consumed as well. They were willing to give their life to prove Baal was the true God. 
but no one answered. Baal never paid them any attention. Elijah had the altar of the Lord repaired. And then to remove all doubt that it was God, Jehovah Yahweh, who answered. He had the entire altar and sacrifice doused with water, not once, not twice, but three different times. Indeed, God would be the only one who could light a fire with something like that. And remember, water is precious. That 12 firkins or whatever it is of water, I think is the equivalent, one firkin, if I remember correctly, now I'm, I'm going to say this, it may not be right, but I think it's 12 gallons. And there was three, that's 36 gallons times three. Three times, over 100 gallons of water poured on this altar, on this sacrifice, on the wood, in the trench. There was no way it could be said that it was spontaneous combustion. There's no way it could be said that Elijah had a little match in his clothes and threw it on the wood. There's no way. He eliminated any doubt about it. Then at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah prayed. And we see what he prayed in 1 Kings 18, verses 36 through 37. Elijah says, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. What did he just do? He identified Yahweh as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And Israel, through whom the twelve tribes were called. And they are still in Israel, even though Israel right now is divided into two kingdoms. There's still one in the sight of God. And he calls upon the entire nation, O Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord Jehovah Yahweh, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back to you again. And the scripture says, after Elijah's prayer, fire, lightning, fire fell from heaven in the sight of everyone there. And totally consumed the sacrifice. Not just the sacrifice, but consumed the wood. Consumed the stones of the altar. Consumed the soil. Consumed even the water in the trench. And then when this happened, all the people immediately fell on their faces and cried out, The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, is our God. Yahweh is our God. Oh, I have to believe that at that point, with all of the people now shouting praises to the Lord, Elijah must have also been praising God in his heart, thinking that the bulk of his work is now done. Hallelujah. The people have finally seen the error of their ways. They were returning to the true God of Israel. My job is finished. And now this same prophet, who brought the news of the coming drought three years earlier, 
<laughs> killed at least 400 of the 50 of the prophets. At least. Doesn't say. We turn over to, uh, where are we at here? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There we go. In verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, Get up, get something to eat and drink, for I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. So Ahab left to go eat and drink. Elijah went up to Mount Carmel and cast himself down on the earth, put his face between his knees. And began to pray. He looked towards the sea. And told his servant. Go look now towards the sea. And as he went up he looked and said there's nothing there. He said go look again. And he did this seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh end of the seventh time. He said behold there arises a little cloud of the sea. It looks like a man's hand. And he said go up. Tell Ahab prepare your chariot. Go down. For the, before the rain comes to stop you, came to pass, meanwhile, that the heaven was black with clouds, and the wind started to blow, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before him. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, we, we skipped over a couple of verses here. Let me go back and look at this. Verse 39, when all the people fell on their face and said, The Lord, he is God, Elijah said to the people, Take the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and killed them there. Doesn't say that he killed the prophets of Asherah, the 400 of them, but killed the prophets of Baal. See, Baal and Asherah were considered the two most powerful gods. And it says Elijah killed them there. He told the people, don't let them escape. But it says Elijah killed them there. Now, we don't know. Scripture doesn't say. We can't speculate whether Elijah had the people kill them or he killed them himself. Either way, he was there. His garments had to be covered in blood of the prophets. And then he tells his servant, All right, let's go. And I'm going to pray for rain to come. And this is when we, we just, the scripture we just read. He said, Go and tell me what you see. There's nothing there. He said, Go again seven times. Seven times he's seen a cloud approaching. And he said, Now go tell Ahab. Now, not a, yeah, Ahab. It does not say what Ahab was doing as Elijah was killing these prophets. It doesn't say. But he's still close enough there where he had to tell his servant, go tell Ahab, hurry up and go into town before the rains come because the flood's going to stop you. And as Ahab took off for town, Elijah pulled up his, his garment, 
and held on to it. It says it tied, the custom was they tied around the waist, so it's more, it makes it more like shorts. And he runs cross country, 20 miles, beating Ahab into the city. Amen. Oh, I wonder how many true conversions were on Mount Carmel that day. There's no way of knowing. But one thing we do know for certain, that God revealed himself to his people in the only way they seemed to understand at the time. You know, what will it take for God to get our attention today? Will he have to shut the heavens as he did with Israel? You know, during my walk with the Lord, I've come to realize God reveals himself in different ways to different people at different times. For he alone knows our hearts. He sees the motive behind our actions. Our salvation is not merely a matter of conscious choice, but it is much more accurately a matter of a relationship with Almighty God. Even today, we are faced with that age-old ultimatum that was first given by Joshua, as recorded in Joshua 24, 15. If serving the Lord Jehovah seems undesirable to you, then choose this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors serve in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, or perhaps the gods of money, or the god of power, or self-sufficiency, or the god of pride, whatever god you want to serve, may we all say with our brother Joshua, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. So anyway... Elijah beats Ahab back to town. And he's probably, you know, going into his house. He's resting up. He's getting a drink, getting freshened up. What a powerful move of God was there. Oh, man, he's telling people, you should have seen it. All the people fell and began worshiping Yahweh again. It was awesome. And he's got his bloody clothes on with the blood of those prophets that he's killed. and What a testimony. Ahab returns to the castle in chapter 19, verse 1, and tells Jezebel everything that happened. Now, what has just happened is Elijah has embarrassed Jezebel. She has been trying to get the nation to worship Baal, except Baal as their God, as a national God, and now Elijah comes and ruins the whole thing. Not only will they begin to question which God is more powerful, but they're going to begin to question why are we serving this evil king and queen? It, it's a definite threat to their well-being. So Jezebel sends a messenger with a note to Elijah's house. Verse 2. 
It says, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't take your life as one of them by tomorrow at this time. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.